0: Hello, and welcome to the To The Stars podcast. This podcast has been created based on the introduction to Battlefield Earth by L. Ron Hubbard, where he wrote that science fiction, particularly in its golden age, had a mission beating the drum to get humanity to the stars. So with that in mind, we have a very special guest today. He's a engineer for the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Hello, Robert Hogg. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to be able to talk with you about a uh, subject very near and dear to me, which is the whole subject of what JPL does to get, you know, what, what's being done right now to get humanity and to, to the stars, or at least to the next planet.
1: That is a, a subject very near and dear to me <laughs> as well. I, I've been working at JPL for many years, and uh, so I, I guess I should start with the JPL's mission uh, is really the the unmanned exploration of the solar system. And so... Uh, we don't do much with uh, astronauts. That's covered by most of the other centers. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly the, the Jet Propulsion Lab, the engineers and scientists there focus on sending robotic spacecraft or robots out to explore other planets and other uh, bodies in, in this solar system um, and have been doing that for decades and decades
0: very successfully. Now I know, and we'll get back to talking about uh, Voyager, because that's also, right, <clears throat> that was the thing that actually sparked the Better Earth book that uh, gave that whole premise for the story. But what projects have you worked on that we might know about?
1: I, I actually started at JPL in uh, 1997 as an intern, and I worked on a spacecraft called Deep Space One. And it was. It uh, was a TV series, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. it's a <laughs> or spacecraft. It space Nine. Uh, yeah, Slight, <laughs> slightly different number there on the TV series. <laughs> uh, I, I yeah, I don't even know if the TV series was named after our spacecraft. I, I think the spacecraft came first. Anyway, the 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 mission of that uh, spacecraft was was unique in that it was uh, designed to test new technologies for space exploration. As opposed to exploring space, mm-hmm. the exploration was happening and and was very valuable, but it was secondary to testing these twelve new technologies. One of them was an ion propulsion engine, and mm-hmm. that was the first time I think ion ion engines had been used by uh, satellites orbiting the Earth to yeah. adjust their orbit. But Deep Space One was, I believe, the first satellite or the first spacecraft to use ion propulsion to travel to another body in the, solar, in the solar system. And so it flew to uh, an asteroid, and I think an asteroid that was a comet, and it got the, the then closest pictures of an asteroid that had ever been recorded. And so that was extremely excited, exciting to work on. I was mm-hmm. a, a young engineer working on uh, the software for that spacecraft, actually. So I, I worked on Deep Space One, and then I worked on several uh, research robots, and then later, uh, I, I moved on to working on Mars robots, and so I worked on the Mars Science Lab, which is the the Curiosity rover right. that was uh, has been exploring the surface of Mars for uh, five or six years now, and has covered many miles and, and done
0: amazing science on Mars. And yeah, I was there actually at, at JPO when it landed. I was the guest of... Of one um, <clears> of the <throat> congressmen, and so it was there. Oh, you were there on our big landing night. In the big landing night. That's yeah.
1: amazing. That was one of my favorite uh, things that I've experienced because you know you can imagine working on something for years, mm-hmm. and then on one night it's going to be successful, or mm-hmm. there will be a new crater on Mars, and you know we'll have to find something else to do. So it was it was obviously successful, and we You could hear
0: the cheers coming every step of the way it was getting down. You right. know, and Okay, the parachute, and then it was, you know, each of the steps of the way, and then it finally landed, and there was that delay. Yes. when, when There was a point when it went out of communication? There, there's a... Seven-minute delay or something? Was yeah, it?
1: There's, a, there's a delay uh, of the, the signal from the spacecraft back to Earth because of how far away Mars is. Right. And so, depending on where Earth's orbit is in relation to Mars... I think it's somewhere between eight minutes and about 18 minutes. There's a delay on the signal coming back on what's happening during that landing, and mm-hmm. and so we're sitting there, you know, with our with our fists clenched and wondering what's happening, and the the signals coming back, and and everything's already happened on Mars, right? And so the seven minutes that you're talking about, we call that the seven minutes of terror, <laughs> and that's simply because it takes seven minutes from when the spacecraft enters Mars Martian atmosphere. Uh, it goes through all of its different sequences, the, the parachute and the heat shield coming off and yeah. the rover being lowered on cables and then the cables cut. All that takes about seven minutes, right? So <clears throat> really all that happened in the seven minute time frame at Mars and the signal then takes, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes to get back. So it's all already happened. And we're just waiting for the signal to get, to get back to us to to find out what happened after it's
0: already done. Yeah, that was pretty exciting. It was, that was pretty exciting.
1: I, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that you were there. That was that was a really fun night for us. And then of course the next day, uh, actually we we got pictures back immediately of the surface of Mars. We had, they were dusty because there was dust on the uh, lens covers. Lens. And then we got the lens covers off. And then the next day we we started deploying. The, the sensing mass and the high gain antenna and then we start checking out the driving system and take this thing for a spin see how it's doing and then we headed off to do science on Mars
0: which is amazing so anyway, you're on that you're on that project too so that yeah was...
1: so that so back to your original question so that was uh, my second flight project at, at JPL and now I'm working on the Mars 2020 rover which we're launching uh, next July and we'll, we'll be taking a uh, brand new suite of instruments. There's seven amazing instruments on, that, on this project. And there's a, a Mars helicopter. We'll be doing a, a, a helicopter demo. We'll be flying uh, a heavier-than-atmosphere object um, on the surface of another planet for the first time ever. Uh, so that's How's exciting. that going to work?
0: Because the gravity is a lot less there, isn't
1: it? Yeah, well, that gravity being less uh, in the help... atmosphere, rather the atmosphere for it to be able to exactly exert the, some the, the 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 gravity being less helps us, but the the problem is, and when I first heard about this, I was going, what really is this a, a possible? And sure enough, from my old robotics section, a gentleman named my name Bob Ballaram had been working on how viable this was, and and so. The short version is um, the Martian atmosphere is uh, extremely light. It's not very dense compared mm-hmm. to Earth's right. atmosphere. It's, it's on the order of a hundredth or a two hundredth of Earth's atmosphere. So if you, uh, when I'm talking to, to high school kids or, or, or grade schoolers, I have them uh, wave their hand at their face and feel the wind on their face. So if you did that on Mars, you would feel a hundredth, less than a hundredth of what you're feeling on Earth. So the way we're able to fly a helicopter over there is uh, some some really brilliant engineers figured out spinning the helicopter blades much faster. I think they go uh, I believe about five times faster than helicopter blades here on Earth and the blades are much thicker and so the combination of much faster and much thicker means you're blowing a lot more volume down and so Turns you out... You think
0: you mean like the width of the blade? That's is,
1: right. Yeah, the, the blades' width themselves are much thicker than than Earth uh, helicopter blades. Right. And so thicker blades spinning much faster, you get more more volume being pushed down. And then if you have a very light helicopter body and, and light legs, then this thing can achieve flight on, on Mars. And... Um, the helicopter team has uh, done an amazing job over the last few years uh, getting this thing designed and built and tested and, and so it was uh, flown in a, in a vacuum chamber at JPL a big uh, space test vacuum chamber and the chamber was set to Martian atmosphere and the the helicopter was flown in in Atmosphere similar to the pressure of Mars, and it worked fantastically, and so it got the green light to uh, take a ride on our rover to to uh, to Mars to do a tech a
0: technology demo over on Mars. Wow! Yeah. <clears throat> so, what what projects or what uh, in the set that you're working on on this uh, twenty twenty Mars twenty twenty that you're working on yourself? Uh, I I've been uh, working on it for a number of years, and I've I've
1: had a. Uh, worked a lot on the mechanisms. Um, I started on the motor control system and uh, moving the remote sensing mast around and the uh, motors and actuators for the robotic arm. Um, And then I moved on from there to other various uh, uh, end to end engineering jobs working on the the remote science system. And uh, we have a couple uh, really amazing science instruments on the mast, uh, high, a high-resolution color imager, and uh, a uh, spectrometer. We have a, a laser that actually can vaporize uh, materials, um, and and then a spectrometer that looks at the vapor to see what that thing is made of. And so when the rover is driving around on the surface of Mars, it's... Uh, can do little uh, tests to, to see what things are made of out in the environment so that we don't then, it's much uh, more efficient than having to go over and bring out the arm and drill a piece of uh, the ground or or the regolith or whatever and then bring it over inside the rover and then use a spectrometer inside the rover and so we can just use this remote uh, sample zapper. Um, so. Uh, right now, I'm the, the the surface phase lead for the mission, which is uh, the the systems engineer that that works across, making sure that the surface part of the mission uh, goes goes very well and works very efficiently, and we get uh, all the science done with our instruments, and we can mm-hmm. drive uh, long distances. Uh, so that's that's what I've been working on for a few years. That's great.
0: What's like the major concern? getting equipment there, getting your, you know, your mission there to Mars, is it like the getting dirt in the machinery or is it like the battery running out or is it, you know, what are, what are like, there's,
1: you mentioned some good ones. Uh, so yes and yes. Um, it, it's been really interesting. Um, engineering systems rovers for for operating on another planet uh because there's so many uh things that you have to deal with that, that aren't an issue uh here on earth so for example um the temperature swings uh, on between day and night are are much more extreme than on, than on earth and so if you use just you know electronics from your your iPhone mm-hmm. the electronics will expand and contract and break um, after a few uh, cycles, uh, uh, sols on Mars, which are Martian days. Um, there's uh, less atmosphere, more radiation. Uh, so we have radiation hardened um, processors that we use um, that are special processors that are much slower than than a laptop, much slower than the phones that folks carry around, but mm-hmm. a very expensive radiation hardened processor to run the rover. Um, and then you mentioned contamination, that's actually been, I think one of the areas on this, this project that's, that we've been much more careful about. Um, and the reason is, and the reason I, I, I should mention, I should uh, 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 describe the major reason that we're, we're going to Mars with this rover is to find samples that are really scientifically interesting, and we're going to cache them in tubes, and then prepare them to be brought back to Earth. So Mars 2020 is really the beginning of uh, a a sample return mission, bringing samples back from Mars to Earth, which has never been done
0: before. Can you get Elon Musk to do that?
1: Uh, Sure. (laughs) He he could help us with that. (laughs) It it would be a a bit of a stretch uh, for them to start on that right now, just because we've been working on this for years. Uh, but I'm sure they could pull that off. And actually, he's talking I, about having his,
0: his, his going there and and then being able to make it so it comes back. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: In fact, before I forget to mention it, I should say my my opinions are my own here. I don't represent NASA and their relationship with uh, SpaceX. But from what I know, um, SpaceX is is one of our uh, NASA's great. Um, Contractors for everything that NASA is trying to achieve. And so uh, they're working, I think, along Boeing and SpaceX are working on the, the next uh, spacecraft to, to be able to carry humans mm-hmm. so that we can replace the space shuttle program. And SpaceX has been um, doing uh, taking payloads to the space station. Yeah. And so the rise of SpaceX and uh, commercial. Space flight has been fantastic for NASA and for the country and for the world because it's provided more avenues for NASA to achieve its mission to to uh, explore the solar system and the stars.
0: It's interesting, and this, I realize we're digressing a bit right now, but i <clears throat> wrote in a in a series called "To the Stars." Mm-hmm. It actually turned out it was through privatization of testing and stuff like that mm-hmm. going into space that. That hum- humankind was able to make its greatest um, inroads, and that's a story that takes place. I don't know, like, however many thousands of years in the future, mm-hmm. looking back at the history, and it talked about the frailties of government-sponsored space programs, and only when it went private that the real progress was made. And then, it, then there was the various alliances with that, with that, government, but
1: that's fascinating. I it. It, it, it appears from what you're saying that we're right at the cusp of the results of that, yeah. because, I mean, we, with SpaceX and Virgin Galactic and uh, uh, the uh, Jeff Bezos has come, all these companies, they're they're really just getting started, in in my opinion, mm-hmm. and and uh, I know NASA's been around for a while, but you know, if you really look in, in terms of all of human history. I mean, JPL really didn't get started until I think it was the early 1950s. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some Caltech uh, students and professors who went up the hill to start blasting off rockets. Well, that was only like 70 years ago. And, uh, you know, compared to the rest of our, our history as a society, that's that's a blip on the radar. And, right. and now with commercial space exploration what these various companies have achieved in such a short time, you can really see the, the potential or already see the, the how fast that the whole evolution of space exploration is speeding up because of what they're bringing. And, and I, I think part of that is the interest of the general public in what they're doing and, you know, be able to send an artist and his friends to go... Circle the moon, which I think SpaceX is working on, and get get folks to Mars as soon as possible. That it just brings more interest and more attention to uh, exploring space and seeing what's out there. And so, I am all for all the benefits that will come from space exploration. Having lots of folks work on this, more engineers working on it, more public interest, and um, so. NASA has been leading the way, but again, just in my opinion, NASA will just benefit and, and will be one of many and can take advantages of the, the companies that are doing things very efficiently and very fast and making really safe systems. So this is a, a spectacular time to see these amazing things happening with robots landing on the moon mm-hmm. and more robots sending to Mars, including the one that I'm working on and Space tourism is is literally starting as we speak. It's extremely exciting.
0: Yes. Okay. Now getting back to what we I mentioned at the, at the get go of this of this talk here. Sure. Voyager, Voyager one and two. Oh yeah. Nineteen sixty seven. The um, the gold disc and uh, the map <laughs> to Earth and uh, and the whole thing sending out there. And now I think Voyager one is beyond the heliosphere and and two is disputing what is the actual. Limit of the uh, solar system, but right. What we'll can you tell me about that? Since that's the since that's the Jet Propulsion Laboratory project. I,
1: I was I was laughing. I, so I've read Bell, Field, Earth* myself. It's a fantastic book. I, really, uh, it was one of the things that impressed me about that book was the evolution that the characters went through from from where they started to where they were at the end of the book. So it was such an adventure seeing them go through that hole. Progression. So I I I remember now that you bring it up that little note about the golden record. I think that kicked off the the planet Earth being uh, invaded or something. Yeah. So
0: the Voyager was picked up. That's right.
1: So I was I was laughing because at JPL there so so the Jet Propulsion Lab um, designed, built, and launched those Voyager spacecraft back back in the sixties and or I'm sorry the seventies. Let's was in sixty-seven? Let's see. I, I wanna get my facts right here. Yeah, so launch launch from Voyager 2 was in 1977 and
0: then Oh 77. Yeah.
1: So they so they launched in the late 70s, and I I I believe that those spacecraft will will go down in the annals of, of human history and space exploration for what they've achieved. And they're just the Voyager program and the Voyager spacecraft and what those engineers pulled off is an engineering marvel that's that's just a spectacle and and the reason I say that is they they launched so long ago but they are still in communication with us to this day um, if you think about the state of computer technologies and hard drives and and things that we, we we make these autonomous robotic spacecraft with, w- what the state of technology was in in the late 70s. The, the hard drive, I think, was a tape drive, for example. And so all that stuff is still running mm-hmm. out there in deep space and is still in communication with JPL via the, the planetary network, the big dishes that you see in various places around the Earth. And Voyager 1 has officially, I think, made it outside the solar system right. and is now exploring outside of our solar system in, in, in right. a time period that's just mind-boggling on, on what they pulled off. And so um, when, I was at, when I first started working at JPL, I came across, you mentioned the Golden Disk. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, um, there's a lecture hall. There was kind of a museum and a lecture hall uh, called the Von Karman Auditorium. And I don't remember if it's still there today, but for many years, uh, we had a mock up of one of the Voyagers. And uh, I, I think it was a mock up of a gold disc, or it was, or a copy. I don't remember which one, but there was a gold disc there. And there was a, a presentation that showed the information that was on the gold disc. Yeah. And, uh, <coughs> and it was really interesting looking to see what uh, I think us, I, I don't know who. I think it was a, one guy and a, and a small team who figured out what information to put on this object that you would want a an alien society or or an alien species to find and know about mankind.
0: Well, Johnny B good was obviously. <laughs>
1: Johnny Johnny B good was on there? Yep. Okay. For example, you For... definitely would want an alien society to know about Johnny B good the the, the song, right? Yep. And then they had really interesting pictures, I think, of biology and human anatomy and, you know, pictures of birds. And so anyway, I was staring at this stuff, thinking about how all this information had been put on a gold disc, which will stand the test of time and was attached to the spacecraft and sent out in the 70s. And now it is outside the solar system. And obviously there are some big distances before... That just makes it anywhere else, because I think the nearest star is like four light years away or something. So yeah. it'll be thousands and thousands of years before it makes it there. But still, we 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 made a, a solid, honest attempt at, as a society, as a species, to communicate with whoever's out there, with a message about you know what we're about and and how we work and and a map on how to get here. Yeah, and how to play Johnny Be Good. <laughs> <laughs> So that that was that was fascinating, and uh, uh, yeah, it's been it's been really interesting working at JPL and contemplating
0: all this stuff. So the um, inspiration of science fiction to science applied has that been something that's uh, been an inspiration for yourself? I've talked to various astronauts and various mm. other engineers, um, and even the previous director of Ames Research Center. Who said oh, it was, great. He said for him it was science fiction and he got caught once with reading a science fiction book which was in the pages of his history book by his <laughs> history teacher and he just said, "I'm just reading the fe- I'm, I'm reading um, the history of our, of our future." you know it didn't when it didn't win over with the teacher, but still he, was, he said for him it was his inspiration.
1: That's a, I, I love the way. He put that, that that in reading science fiction and reading some of these stories that are out there and get created on a daily basis. You're you're peering into the future of mankind, or you're peering into possible
0: futures uh, yeah, or problem, alternate futures. future, possible future. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, so for me personally, I I definitely ha- had a tie in there. I uh, growing up, I read uh lots of sci-fi stories fiction stories i lots of stories about robots and uh it, i i tore through many many fiction and science fiction books um and and uh i'm just thinking back i i was really peering into the the future and getting uh ideas about robots and computers and what computers could do on their own which was very much Treated by the, the the authors and the stories that that I read um, when I was when I was growing up, they they looked into the future and you know things like a laptop didn't exist mm-hmm. back then, um, but the the things that they knew were coming, you know, like a worldwide planetary digital communication network. There was no internet when I was reading these sci-fi stories, and these guys were talking about these things, and it was mm-hmm. just. A matter of fact you know you pull up your tablet and send off your your dispatch to this other guy on the other side of the planet and so for sure all that stuff got me thinking about um when i was getting interested in engineering there was there were there were no household robots there were no Roombas there were no laptops okay just mm-hmm. just to show how old i am there was no internet no laptops and so i was Thinking about computers and how you know a computer program can run on a processor and appear to do a series of actions by itself, just sitting there, quote, by itself mm-hmm. doing something that that you tasked it to do, and then from these sci-fi stories, it became apparent that well, a, a robot is simply a computer that interacts with its environment, and so then I extended the idea to, well, you could have this thing that has some mechanical arms and has some sensors to know what's happening in the environment. And then uh, you write some uh, pretty brilliant computer programs and all of a sudden you've got this vacuum cleaner running around your house vacuuming. And so I I was inspired by sci-fi and I, I started thinking about and peering into the future, both that, that these uh, men and women authors um, outlined, but then it, it gave me kind of a place space in my own mind to figure out maybe where things were going and and so then I focused on uh, learning about robots and and how computers work and sensors and technology and and started thinking about my future and this is when I was in you know grade school when i was when I was young, so anyway, the answer to your question there is uh, ha, I think has been and I hope will continue to be a close tie between the world of science fiction and the ideas that science fiction writers come up with and what they put out into the, the thought space of the world for folks to to read and think about mm-hmm. and then engineers take those ideas and, and go wow you know actually I could whip something together on that or I could uh, make this legged robot one of when I was working on research robots uh, years ago I spent uh, three weeks paid just writing with a a couple other engineers at JPL a proposal to do this legged robot project on this robot that would kinda run like an animal and could be useful for all kinds of things and unfortunately we came second and the, the, the winning team um it was uh, Mark Raybert's Boston Dynamics uh uh team and they went on to create the Big Dog project and and all all the robots that you see on on YouTube where they're walking around with legs and they're carrying equipment and they're opening doors and they're jumping and I just saw one recently where the, they had a robot doing parkour basically was doing flips and 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 stuff and so I I hold that up as a personal example that I've had, where I was right there at the beginning of the start of really. If you know, this is a short time ago, and if you say now to somebody, "Oh yeah, this robot will be running down the street and doing flips by itself, and just you know walking around trees," you would say, "No way! That's 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 just fiction. That's sci-fi. That doesn't exist." And that was a very short time ago, and now it's in existence. And so, I think there's this kind of A really great feedback loop between science fiction authors and engineers or engineers and science fiction authors I think it goes both ways Mm -hmm. and it it creates a really great space for coming up with uh, grand ideas or simple ideas or technologically advanced ideas from nothing both in the lab where the engineer is working or on the pages where the author is working and they feed off each other mm-hmm. and thereby we advance as a, as a society tech, technologically. And it's been really interesting uh, seeing that effect uh, over the years here.
0: Well, that's awesome. Now, as we were talking, you were talking about these different things and I remembered spider bots. Oh, yeah. Because when, uh, when we did Back in the mid-2000s, uh-huh. <clears throat> I remember this one magazine spread that had you talking about spider-bots.
1: That's amazing that you remember that. I, uh, so uh, I, I started a, a little research project with a tiny bit of advanced technology money from the JPL Advanced Technologies Office. And th- you know this is enough money to pay for one full-time engineer for like a third of a year. Or or a third of an engineer for one year. So I took that and um I hired some uh interns and uh some postdoc uh graduate students and so I had like a five man team on this on this tiny bit of money. And we just wanted to do some um some research on uh making a sensor web of of small robots that could walk around and so negotiate terrain better using legs. Um and anyway, it, it 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 blew up and uh in 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 interest. I think the, the media relations folks came by and they said, Wow, that looks like a spider and I said, Well, it's only got six legs. I think a spider has eight legs and they said, Well, we're gonna call it a spider bot, and away they went. And so the next thing you know, you know, it was it was on uh was in Time magazine, I think, yeah. and there were interviews and so it was it was fun. Um it That was a research project that was never designed to to send such a thing off the surface of the Earth anytime soon, but it was was great to push ahead research. And so we we demonstrated a spider bot walking across the Mars yard at JPL, which is a yard with rocks and terrain that's kind of like Mars. And we pretended like there was a a network of uh, radios that would would pass communication across the surface of Mars or, or another planet. And we did a demonstration where we killed one of the radios. We just went and turned it off. And then the spiderbot walked over and filled in for the, for the dead radio. And so then the network of radios was repaired. And so that was our, our demonstration for year one of the project. Um, and, but then I should mention that um, the, the project continued. Let's see, the second year we had it walking uh, on, a, on a mesh autonomously uh, as if it was... On a, on a radar array or something in space. Um, and so we could have a, a, a legged robot or a legged robotic system doing repairs out in, mm-hmm. in orbit on a, on a big radar array so we wouldn't have to send an astronaut all the time to do repairs. Um, and then the third year, some of my students took over the project, and then I came back and helped them, and we did, a, um, we did some testing on the, the Vomit Comet the the NASA Vomit Comet. It's called the Vomit Comet because it flies in in zero-g arcs, in parabolas, and it makes people very, very, very carsick, and so they need to make sure they don't eat uh, any breakfast that morning. They take, I think it's Dramamine or something, to help with the car sickness. So, we we, uh, flew down to where the Vomit Comet is stationed, and Uh, For a week, let's see, we did two days of flights, and so we did about 30 parabolas And so we demonstrated one of our small spider bots walking across a mesh by itself in zero gravity
0: Um, Remember that photo?
1: Yeah, so I've got video of myself thrashing around like an idiot in zero gravity because it turns out it's you know you can flap your wings and nothing happens and um, if you accidentally kick off, you just go flying. So that was that was that was a blast. We got to see one of our robots in action in zero G for a few seconds at a time.
0: Well, that's cool. So, um, as far as uh, the future that you see with um, with JPL and, and the robotics, and so it's is it like Mars twenty twenty, or do you have other projects? And it, like you've got China on the moon, and there's been other. France has done something with some asteroid and
1: Well so the, the, the future I see at at JPL and my work there uh is we we will get this uh this next giant rover landed on Mars and, and explore and do the helicopter demonstration. And uh for a Martian year uh we, we will uh, travel around and find really interesting scientific sites and get uh, samples to bring back and then we will leave them in a, in, a, in a group in a cache and JPL is already working on the sample return rover It's I th- think it's called the Mars Sample Return Rover we mm-hmm. don't have a fancy name for it yet and so four or six years later, I think is the notional idea, another mission will go and land and pick up the samples that we found with Mars 2020 and bring them back to Earth. Um, and uh, so that's that's gonna take us uh, over over the next eight years or so to get that done. And JPL is simultaneously working on many other missions uh, to continue to explore Earth from orbit and uh, other planets in the solar system. And so, JPL is continuing to uh, have have missions going simultaneously and in operation simultaneously, and it's been quite exponential over the decades at doing that. And then uh, to your your point about China and India and other countries, you know, personally, I foresee it, it ramping up, and um, I I would love to see the day when every week we're landing a robot somewhere or a woman is landing on the moon. Men and women are landing on Mars, and and all countries of Earth are are participating in this great adventure. And I I think uh, it, it's a great thing to focus on, and so everybody can work on that goal together, exploring uh, the universe, and maybe it'll it'll take a little bit of attention off our petty squabbles and our petty wars. And uh, so the more more attention we spend on exploring space, the better. Mm-hmm. um and so i I really look forward to to other co- countries as they are already doing ramping that up and jumping in and and having their incredibly uh smart uh, engineers and and folks coming through the line and and making these amazing missions and spacecraft and robots and uh, continue to find what's out there and, and scratch humanity's itch on what's there and, and finding that next adventure
0: well, that's awesome and it is the purpose of uh the golden age of science fiction at least as uh worked on by oran hubbard and robert heinlein and several others during that time period after world war ii and as career was happening to skip man's attention off of warring with each other and going into space so if someone wants to find out more about you or to uh, learn more about your various projects how can they find you
1: Oh, they, they can uh, just do a search for Robert Hogg, uh, JPL, Jet Propulsion Lab. Um, uh, you can search for my project's name, Mars 2020. We're, we're going to be doing a, uh, we're already in the midst of a naming contest. We're going to name our rover over the next months. And uh, so lots of information online about the project and what we're trying to do and to uh, help Fulfill Mr. Hubbard and, and others' dream. I, I fully agree with that sentiment on uh, exploring space and the benefits uh, to our society on doing that. And so um, we will continue to do that.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Robert. Thank you, John. And thank you for listening. In his introduction to Battlefield Earth, Elrond Hubbard wrote that science fiction, particularly in its golden age, had a mission beating the drum to get man to the stars. To the Stars podcast has been created to recognize and honor those who have dedicated themselves to this objective. Subscribe to the To the Stars podcast wherever you find your podcasts.